0: The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. This is Arun Sudharman, and we're joined in Hong Kong today by... Tarod Neptune from Lenovo, he is the Chief Communications Officer. Tarod, welcome to the Echo Chamber.
1: Thanks. It's great to be with you.
0: Um, You're in Hong Kong all week? I am, this entire week. Uh, Part of your heavy travel schedule,
1: I imagine. Yes. We do our quarterly earnings announcement from a different market around the world every quarter, and this week is Hong Kong.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. So, real work this week. You've been with Lenovo now for, it's more than a year?
1: Yes, about 14 months.
0: Okay, and before that you were at Verizon? Verizon, yes.
1: For a number of years? Seven and a half years, almost eight years.
0: Okay, right. So how have you found the last 12 months? It's it's quite a different company, Lenovo, compared to Verizon.
1: Very much so. It's uh, fascinating, I think. I mean, obviously, two of the bigger distinctions, to your question, between uh, Verizon and Lenovo, is is one, the global nature uh, of Lenovo. Verizon, even though it does have an international um, piece of business. is largely a domestic company Mm -hmm. and domestic wireless. Lenovo in reality is a truly global company in terms of its workforce, which sits across about 160 countries, Mm -hmm. Um, and then certainly diverse as it relates to the leadership of the company. So of our CEO's 11, 12 direct reports, they represent about that number of different markets nationalities. Mm. Um, And so I I found uh, one of the more fascinating aspects of the last 14 months has been the challenges as a communicator, dealing with a global enterprise Mm -hmm. uh, and thinking about how you manage a reputation of a Mm. global entity across some very, very complex and different markets, Mm. Um, and then how you think about, again, some of the traditional things that we uh, battle when we think about building and growing a brand uh, globally given some of the geopolitical issues that you know you deal with right. as, a, as a global organization as well, has made it a pretty interesting 14 months. And then I think the second thing to your point about the key uh, insight or difference from me has really been the degree of uh, consumer understanding mm-hmm. um, that we've had to really integrate into our craft um, as it relates to really trying to understand what are the mechanisms to influence the way we're perceived as a global brand and then how you influence that uh, based on different markets geographies cultures Mm -hmm. um, that are just unbelievably dynamic from geography to geography market to market country Mm -hmm. to country yeah Um, so that's an added uh, challenge on top of all the other things that we as communicators are dealing with
0: you mentioned the the geopolitical issues which of course are uh, in the news a lot there's, there's Plenty of coverage um, in terms of issues between U.S. and China at the moment. Lenovo, you know, technically is a, is a Chinese company. Um, do you find that's affecting perceptions of Lenovo globally?
1: Yeah, I think I think at a macro level, I think one of the things that we obviously spend a lot of time trying to think about, uh, again, in the context of driving our brand and our reputation and managing that mm-hmm. in a thoughtful and strategic way is, is really understanding. Um, what I think is at the base of a lot of the geopolitical issues that we see today, not just in the U.S., but uh, throughout the world. Um, And I think that the battle we fight is this tension that exists today between different being good or bad. Mm. Um, And as it relates to countries and perceptions, uh, unfortunately, that in many places, I think we're seeing cultural pressure points around uh, a very nationalistic focus uh, in some places. I think we're we're seeing communities aligning around um, people who look like and think like uh, them, and I I think a a disadvantage is for uh, different perspectives. I think there's a lack of appreciation for the value of that, different cultures, and I think in many ways as a brand, I believe that that's a place where Lenovo uh, has an opportunity to lean in and influence a broader global discussion Mm. Uh, that rides a bit beyond the day-to-day geopolitical issues that we know very well, and really, I think, maps to the core of who we are, to your point, a company that is global today but has strong Chinese roots, Mm. um, and reality is representative about equally uh, throughout the main geographies around the world. Um, and so one of the fascinating things about Lenovo in the spirit of being a truly diverse company is I believe there's some value we bring to this discussion about the mm-hmm. benefit of a diverse perspective yeah. and a diverse people. Right. We wanted the first global companies to combine East and West mm-hmm. and meld them into what we believe is one of the most integrated cultures. Um, and I think you see the value of those diverse perspectives in our product. And our approach to our brand, our brand positioning around different is better, mm-hmm. uh, is core to our view that we have created uh, across our people and these uh, disparate countries that we represent, um, a value add uh, mm-hmm. to the consumer marketplace globally that is herein' and being different, culturally, socially, mm-hmm. geographically, all those things. And in many ways, that's the voice we are trying to be thoughtful about inserting in this geopolitical discussion that's happening, yeah. the value of different um and different being a good thing.
0: Yeah that's interesting because that if if that's your your sort of one of your most important values and yet we're in an era now where there is this sort of fear of the other. Right. So do you feel that that Lenovo because of that perhaps has more of a responsibility to try and address that?
1: Right. I think it's an opportunity for mm-hmm. us because it is the discussion that's happening and I think the opportunity to pivot that in a very positive way is so core and authentic to who we are. So mm. it's not us deciding that we're going to attach ourselves to a neat marketing campaign right. uh, that's designed to influence you know, this political discussion. Uh, it is about uh, the truest thing about who we are. Mm. And I think we have the obligation because of the weight and the truth of that reality for us. Uh, in many ways I think about it as we've been given permission and the authority mm-hmm. to have a very strong point of view and to leverage the weight uh, of our brand in that discussion. And we're trying to do that in a very thoughtful way uh, Mm. as we speak.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that you feel this is actually something that's authentic to Lenovo. We we held a a roundtable in New York earlier this year on which you featured, along with um, a couple of other senior communications heads from uh, Mars, um, PayPal, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things you said were, was too many brands are falling in line without having done the work. Um, y- y- and you said this in the context of purpose-driven initiatives that lack authenticities and that they put the veracity of other initiatives at risk. Right. And you said there are brands that should not pursue a social, a social purpose even though societal pressure thinks they should. Is that something you're seeing a lot of?
1: I think so. I think the pressure is is more significant and growing every day, again, given the number of issues Mm. that I think we're um, encountering across the world. And I think the interesting uh, forcing factor in terms of what's happening in the marketplace at large is we all know this unbelievable uh, demand for transparency and uh, authenticity.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And in some ways, I think that creates an opportunity for us as brands. Our responsibility perhaps is a better word, um, as we think about these cause uh, initiatives that every brand every day is pushed to have a point of view on or an opinion or uh, to make a statement on. I think that demand for transparency and authenticity brings with it the responsibility I believe we need to take as shepherds of a corporate reputation or corporate brand mm-hmm. to bring that thoughtful, disciplined approach to where do we have the credibility of voice, the power of voice, the influence of voice that maps tightly to who we are at our core, mm-hmm. not necessarily who we aspire to be, because again, that I think is a little too
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: disingenuous, but who we are at our core today, mm-hmm. um, that allows us to have an outsized influence um, on that cause or that issue, uh, and then to focus there. I think it's a huge responsibility uh, that my peers, and certainly that I feel, uh, as we look at the brand that is Lenovo today to drive that kind of discussion and dialogue. Mm. Um, because I think what we also see is the brands that are successful are focused on a very few things. Mm. Uh, and they do those very thi- few things very well and they are focused. Mm. Um, it is one voice and they've aligned their organization internally and they've aligned their voice externally and internally around those things. And those are the most effective, um, I'd say, impactful Uh, brands and we certainly aspire to be in that class as opposed to again where I fear there's a rush to engage in the issue of the day or the cause of the day that many of us are still uh, falling prey to.
0: Mm. So another angle to this whole um, area of diversity concerns uh, the industry Mm -hmm. that that you work in um, um, that I cover Uh, and in particular I think the the agency side where it seems they have been more challenged uh, in terms of delivering the kind of diversity and inclusion um, that I think society now expects and demands perhaps compared to the in-house side. Do you think that's a fair characterization?
1: I I would say that's quite fair.
0: Okay, now you held of course an agency review last year, a, a global public relations agency review, you ended up hiring Zeno in yes. the end. Part of that review, um, in a move that is becoming increasingly common but is still, I think, quite rare, uh, you included diversity criteria right. as part of the review. You wanted statistics from the agencies yes. on diversity. You didn't make them public, as far as I'm aware. Correct. Why, did you, why did you do that, first of all, and um, how useful was it? Sure. I think in terms
1: of the the second question, the why uh, we did that as a brand, I mean I've been uh, I'd say fairly passionate about the issue for for quite a while. I think it's unbelievably um, critical Mm -hmm. both for the long-term health and viability of our function and secondarily for the long-term health and viability of brands at large. Uh, And so that was also uh, a big part of the decision-making factor. When we started talking about a a global RFI, uh, that was the first of the two phases. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, uh, where I think sometimes uh, many of us who have been in the industry, both on the agency side and uh, within uh, brands, uh, have gotten in the last couple of years to the point where I think we believe that there's unanimity of support for the concept. <laughs> right? You're not gonna find any person in, in my chair anywhere in the world or anyone uh, in an agency chair who would say it's not critically important. Mm. Um, at some point, that reality has to force you to ask yourself, well, then, then what's, what's the barrier mm. to there being meaningful traction and results? And I think increasingly there are a f- few of us who are coming to the realization that until uh, brands Uh, put their foots down and decide that they are going to require solid progress action and that there's an accountability mechanism Mm -hmm. beyond a talking point um, that you're not going to see meaningful measurable Uh, real change happen in terms of the real stats Mm. um, around diversity inclusion being successful and so I certainly came to this uh, role with that point of view and then the RFI RFP exercise with that as a clear expectation that we were going to do it Mm. Uh, Spent some time building the internal support for the commitment um, and then decided again through the two phrases in RFI that went to several agencies uh, with the requirement being in addition to responding to some of the creative questions that we asked, uh, they were also uh, asked to disclose their diversity statistics for management, mm-hmm. um, not just administrative personnel, and that that data would be an indicator, one mm-hmm. of the indicators that we used to determine the agencies that were invited to participate in the RFP, and then for the RFP that would also be a part of the Uh, evaluation criterion as well and more importantly that it would be an ongoing uh, measurement reporting expectation for whatever agency we decided to work with as right. well and so, so it's not just a one-off of, right those kinds of teeth are critical I think if they're going to be uh, solid action I believe taken on this issue in a way that we're not talking about it in five more years or if we're talking about it we're talking about it through the context of having done some very positive successful things mm. um, albeit still needing to continue to focus in that area
0: yeah I, I think you're right. I think that it's only really through initiatives like this that you can engender this right. kind of change because otherwise it is a lot of talking. Yes. Um, but when a, a, a big client actually says, I, I want to see progress on this and this is going to form a part of the selection criteria, uh, and so it's actually impacting an agency's business, right. you would expect that change to happen. Right. right. Um, What did you think when you actually saw the the stats in terms of diversity that that were communicated? You don't have to put any agencies on the spot, but um, was it better or worse than you expected? I think in some
1: instances better. In some instances, I was probably a little surprised by... um, I'd I'd categorize our industry, again, of which I'm a part, in two areas and so I think there's still those of us who um, probably look at uh, this issue as still a little bit more of a marketing exercise, Mm -hmm. positioning, um, and perhaps or not as focused on real meaningful substantive initiatives Mm -hmm. uh, designed to address the challenge Um, and I think the second half of that are probably those of us you know in the agency side as well who have done yeoman's work to deal with the foundational challenges that exist beyond the marketing of it as a priority. Um, and so I'd say I was impressed by a lot, but also surprised in, in, in many areas we still are very um, traditional mm. in the way we view this, uh, this issue and um, approaches to, to solving the mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. I do think one of the other points you made a little earlier in terms of where I generally see more progress on the brand side than uh, the agents, are, and again this is a generalization, sure. <clears throat> there are obviously exceptions, um, but I think one of the things, and I speak about this often, uh, that I was um, impressed by on the brand side is, and this is certainly true even today, my annual compensation is impacted by the degree to which I am successful at hiring, recruiting, and retaining diverse talent. Right. Um, and when you have those kinds of mechanisms, mm. uh, there are few other things that help focus uh, yeah. both a leader's time and also a business's priorities yeah. um, if it's not being impacted at the pocketbook level.
0: Right. Nothing incentivizes right. like an incentive.
1: Right. So beyond my view that it's a, good, it's a business imperative, it's not a nice to do, mm. uh, it helps also that you know, my colleagues and I um, see real meaningful change uh, mm-hmm. in a very uh, significant area uh, that helps us you know, focus on not just the words, uh, but the real results behind what we talk about as our commitment to really diversifying the discipline mm. uh, in a really meaningful way.
0: And so presumably you have some insight into how to diversify the discipline, as you've put it, because um, one of the things I think agencies still struggle with is actually putting it into practice and coming up with methods and means and plans and programs that do deliver results, both in terms of recruitment and retention and creating that kind of inclusive culture where different, um, different people different points of view, are not just tolerated, but accepted and encouraged. And I don't want to get too deep into this because we could talk about this for hours, but if there's any kind of top line thoughts you had or advice for agencies that are struggling with this.
1: Yeah. You know, and so I think think two things, and this is where I think sometimes it can be a little frustrating as we think about, again, the challenges we have at, at really trying to, I know we're never going to solve it, but the challenges that seem to um, be consistent around addressing it in a, um, in a way that is consistent across the board. There's so much research that's been done on this issue, right, in mm-hmm. terms of the uh, data that looks at uh, the reasons why we have challenges on the recruitment, on the retention, against levels, against, you know, different constituencies. I mean, the, the, the data is there. I mean, I think mm. at the end of the day, if, if there was some new report that was possible to be done that shared some new insight, I'd be shocked. Mm. Um, right. If we don't know already the core uh, indices behind this challenge. And so I am at the point where I truly believe that dealing with it boils down to, to leadership, and commitment right the will um, the will mm. uh, because uh, beyond all these things programs and training and initiatives and you know compensation and those kind of things it will still boil down to a leader deciding I on the strength of what I can control and do will do A B C and D and I think both at the agency you know leadership level and for brands um, there is a point where perhaps the last mile is that individual, I will show you Mm. how this should be done. Um, And I think at the end of the day, that's where I believe most of us uh, have the opportunity to influence today and Mm -hmm. now. Whether that starts with one role or one team or one initiative, um, I think we need that kind of Mm -hmm. uh, leadership and and commitment to, to really start to show some results.
0: And what do you say to, to agency people? I've spoken to some who think that you know, these kinds of, of um, initiatives where clients are asking agencies for their diversity stats are you know, just putting agencies on the spot and, and not allowing them to, to actually do the work that's required to change uh, and get better. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that was the reason that we committed very early on in in our RFI process that we weren't going to disclose any of this data, Mm -hmm. right? We didn't want this to be seen as a threat. Right. Um, And I think to to your point that uh, someone uh, mentioned, I do think part of the the incentive around doing that was to make it clear, this is an iterative process, right? And so Mm -hmm. I don't think we were certainly not expecting to see agencies who had solved it because it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly have the appreciation that you know this is an ongoing challenge and you know incremental change is not bad mm-hmm. um, and I do think at the end of the day we need to give ourselves um, a, a little bit of room here to continue to address and, and navigate and pivot
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, based on individual situations and you know agencies and client dynamics and all those variables that I do think have an impact on the degree to which you know we can be successful in this area but, I think the pressure needs to be there, mm-hmm. uh, because again, absence of forcing uh, factor. I think we all know what human human behavior
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, is more likely to produce, which is more um, more inertia. Yeah, and that that can't
0: be the solution either. Sure. And you you worked agency side for, yes. for several years. I mean, did you, whilst you were agency side, did you ever think to yourself, okay, these cultures are just not inclusive enough, and and there's a lot of work to be done here. or Was your experience different?
1: No, I think it's. I mean, it's it's clearly. And this is, you know, obviously for me, uh, seven, eight years ago mm, uh, that right. I was last in the agency world. But I mean, I, I think it's been fairly consistent. You know, the cultural realities of agencies. Yep. Um, and again, I, I would. Again, these are generalizations. I, I think you have many agencies are quite well-meaning and, and, and well-intentioned mm. in this space. Um, th- there's just not a lot of you know, they're there yet mm-hmm. today, again, pockets. And so I think at the end of the day, it's back to that, that question of leadership and mm-hmm. and, uh, and courage, commitment, uh, to figure out how to do something that is meaningful that is where we have the biggest opportunity today.
0: Sure. So just one more question about agencies, yep. and then we'll come back to the to, to your role at, at Lenovo. Obviously, you had, you, you had this review, so you, I assume it gave you quite a lot of insight into the way agencies are progressing yes these days there's a lot of angst on the agency side about the model and whether it's fit for purpose and whether yeah. you know holding groups will will go out of fashion um, from your perspective do you, do you think that's fair or do you, do you think the agency model needs to change do you think they are doing okay? I mean, is it, is it an obvious answer?
1: Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we certainly on the the brand side and through this IRFP process um, to varying degrees, you know, you know, many of the agencies are grappling with these questions. Uh, I think at the end of the day, the reality is a lot of us on the brand side are uh, grappling with mm-hmm. the need to reinvent, transform ourselves just given what's happening in the integrated marketing communications uh, sphere, sure. And so, I think agencies feel a r- pressure, and legitimately so, uh, that the businesses fundamentally change. Clients are fundamentally under pressure mm. uh, to deliver a different kind of result um, in a different environment. And I think that mandates that our partners um, on the agency side, and this is not just comms; it's the entire integrated marketing um, space, uh, have to undergo that same kind of transformation. I think on the agency side, is probably a little more e- existential mm. uh, than it is on the brand side, but I think we're all dealing with this continuum of change mm-hmm. and the degree to which we are successful as, a- as agencies or brands, I think really uh, will have a long-term impact on the influence uh, we have across the discipline, and so I think the agency pressure is well-suited, just like it is for me and my peers, mm. uh, to focus on what needs to be a fairly radical transformation of our craft as well on the uh, brand side.
0: Sure. And how are you responding to that pressure at Lenovo? I know at Verizon, for example, I recall reading that you had um, implemented a kind of agile uh, framework for your teams. Is that the kind of thing that you think is going to help the communications function adapt to, to all of this disruption?
1: I think so. I mean, I think there there's several things that we have to do. And so again, you mentioned uh, the way we think about you know, staffing our teams mm-hmm. you know, out of what was traditionally a very hierarchical model, uh, organized around products or business units. Again, mm-hmm. uh, that much more map to, I'd say, an era that we've long since left um, uh, versus where we begin to align ourselves around looking at what the real competencies of this integrated communications discipline of the future looks like. Uh, that addresses I think would have been some tectonic shifts. You think about the exposure of influencers, the demand for content, you know, the daily crises mm-hmm. uh, that we deal with as brands, the consolidation of media that mm-hmm. continues to happen at a pretty uh, unprecedented pace, mm-hmm. and then uh, the rapid expansion of social and tech and, and all these things. Uh, it's really forcing us to think differently about what we do, how we do it, and who, we do it with, in terms of, again, the skills and competencies. And so it's, uh, it's fairly overwhelming on some days to think about the kinds of things that we've got to think differently about as a discipline, but it's critical. And I think, again, back to this conversation around existential crises, I think we're at an inflection point uh, as a discipline as well, uh, where we've gotta make some very, very tough choices. We fundamentally are being challenged by our organizations, by our C-suite leadership uh, to deliver against a new set of priorities, a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And the success at which we can do that is directly tied to some of these fundamental you know, model questions that we're talking about um, that are certainly top of mind for me in terms of the things that I uh, have prioritized trying to mm-hmm. address pretty quickly.
0: So a big change in, in, for example, the skills that you're incorporating into your teams? Yes. And, and so presumably are, are you looking in different places for those skills as right. well? Right, right. Yeah, I think it,
1: it, it, in the priority of building an integrated function, mm. right, that uh, maps this landscape that I'm talking about that I describe as much more, uh, again, integrated communications or integrated marketing uh, that is out of this uh, siloed discipline where, you know, historically it was media relations and actually, maybe not more than that, you know, videos and those kinds of things, um, to a much more integrated discipline. If you think about managing content and uh, understanding channel uh, management and understanding fl- influencers and audiences, um, and being able to integrate uh, data and glean meaningful insights from that data to inform the way we think about a strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about the challenges of a creative, uh, Team
0: mm-hmm. uh, and
1: those kinds of skill sets that we need to factor into, again, what is not the traditional comms function. I mean, th- those mean that we're talking about fundamentally recruiting a different type of person mm-hmm. uh, than might have been historically associated with a corporate communications organization or a PR organization or a media relations organization. Um, and that is where I think the competencies of this next five year, seven year period. Have also uh, got to evolve pretty dramatically uh, to ensure we have access to that talent.
0: A lot of overlap with marketing, as you mentioned, you, mm-hmm. you talked about it in terms of integrated marketing. Does that just mean the functions come together?
1: I do think uh, it is. It's happening. It's mm-hmm. happened in, in many places, and it, it's driven by again. I, I alluded to it a little bit this uh, this changing environment in which we operate. Where historically, I think if you think about it, marketing was generally uh, the domain of customer, uh, you know, thinking priorities, or they own that, and, and we, the, the comm side of that was generally influencers, government. Um, and so today, uh, the mandate, if I think about the kinds of conversations we have at the CEO level, is uh, it's the one voice mandate, right? Oh. So it, that is our priority, Go, going to market with one voice, across audiences, across geographies, across channels, you name it, and that forces this melding mm-hmm. of what was, again, historically, this view of marketing owns uh, the customer, and you all own everything else, our stakeholders, with mm. uh, generally that purview. And so as opposed to coming at it from the audience-centric uh, mm. view, it's, it's message first, a story first. Sure. And then how we organize around delivering that consistent story uh, means that there's a natural melding that has to happen of what were traditionally pretty siloed uh, disciplines.
0: Mm. And some of the the you, you mentioned the daily crisis and some of the responses we've seen um, to crises, whether it's from United or um, this isn't a crisis response, but right. you know the PepsiCo um, ad, they they seem to indicate that you know perhaps the, the public relations or communications function. Doesn't have the influence that it should be having um, in the right places, whether that's the top of the organization or whether that's in the marketing, on the marketing side mm-hmm. of the equation. I mean, how big a risk do you that do you think that is, and how do you think that can be addressed?
1: It is fascinating. I think you know there are a couple crises over the last few months. If you if you look at them at least from the outside, mm. they seem to uh, communicate some lack of cohesion mm-hmm. um, uh, in, an, in an approach. And so I, I do wonder, obviously I don't know the inner workings of some of these organizations and so I'm speaking uh, again in, in general generalizations, but I, I do think um, there is a, a challenge within any organization um, that is people, and personalities, right? Mm. So the best advice we know in any scenario mm-hmm. um, is largely going to be secondary to a leader's point of view on how to you know, address right. uh, that particular challenge. The hope, the idea would be that the voices that we represent in our discipline and the credibility of our approach uh, has the significance of weight and of influence to drive an outcome. Mm-hmm. In, in many instances, we know that's not the case. You know, uh, Again, comms or brand or reputation, or whatever it might be uh, titled as, may not have the stature and the imprimatur to uh, force an outcome uh, or influence the CEO's uh, decision-making about you know, how he th- thinks the situation ought to be addressed.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: those are unfortunate. I, I do think at the end of the day that some of what we see and what looks like uh, poor decision-making uh, at a brand level is perhaps a reflection of internal uh, dysfunctions and, and perhaps mm-hmm. uh, this is a concern that perhaps it's a reflection of where we have not earned mm-hmm. uh, the level of credibility because of the way we uh, mm-hmm. practice our craft perhaps. And so, but I do wonder, in yeah. terms of what really goes on there, there are some that are head scratches when you see the way they have been managed
0: I think um I think internal dysfunction is is definitely something to blame. You mentioned the personality as a factor here, so what kind of personality do you think is required to make sure that or at least to, to improve the chances of being heard at the top, to improve that kind of credibility right. of the message. Right. I
1: mean, at the end of the day, we're still in a relationship business, right? Mm. And so uh, I think in some ways I often describe that I feel like my role uh, for the last several years has moved more beyond the functional you know expertise required and more uh, to that of a behavioral psychologist, <laughs> right, in terms of... Just um,
0: persuading people.
1: Persuading, managing the mm-hmm. disparate personalities in a C-suite, uh, building trust,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and again, less functional trust, that's generally right. a given at some point in your career, and more uh, interpersonal trust uh, in the disposition, the countenance, the, the credibility uh, of the perspective that you represent, and yeah. the insight uh, that lives, hopefully, in the seat of a CCO. or. Um, you know, the most senior person advising mm-hmm. um, a C suite leader in a crisis. And so it's um, it's interesting, but I, I do think for most of us at a certain level, that is where the yeah. rubber meets the road. Again, less the functional and more the influence I've been able to glean because of what I bring to the table sure. and that relationship that I've created. And that's traditionally back to the skills and competencies, right? That's been a uh, one that is. Um, been harder to teach
0: right I was gonna ask have you been trained for
1: this right it is it is maturity Mm. right? I think it is seasoning its perspective Mm -hmm. uh, it's many things that um, are hard to to write Mm -hmm. and I think therein lies a challenge right for some of us and some of my peers uh, when you're dealing with some massive you know brand reputational challenges uh, Mm. of a pretty major scale
0: Do you see the next generation of talent um, holding more promise in this regard?
1: I think there's more promise given the diversity of experience I think they begin with. Mm. If I look at the pools of uh, candidates that we are recruiting across entry to mid-level today and again this integrated competency that we're talking about, not the traditional... Um, I feel like they will be better prepared with a clear understanding of what this new environment looks like, the new influence environment Mm -hmm. looks like, and perhaps how to glean influence within that environment. And so I think that's a better jumping off place, right? If you think about my peers and I generally, you know, that was what we learned on the fly, Mm -hmm. um, or learned later in career, as these technologies and generational shifts emerged. And so I certainly believe uh, beginning with that as a core to the way you've operated and behaved, you know, Generation Z is entering the marketplace this year, and so this will be the first generation that's only known, you know, mobile, the Internet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that will certainly uh, be a benefit. Uh, I do think at the end of the day, the things we're talking about, it's just hard work. Mm. Um, And that growth development uh, is the only, is the result of only putting in, the time and effort and energy, uh, to understanding, to getting to know, to having a perspective that is global and broad and different, and and perhaps having a different perspective on kind of the world, Mm. that um, is also a big part of being able to influence in these discussions as well, Mm. the aperture
0: through which you view,
1: not just the crisis of the day, but through which you view uh, the ultimate marketplace that you're trying to influence around.
0: Yeah, that, I guess, cultural intelligence. Yes. So let's, um, for, for my last question, let's go back a little bit in terms of your career. Um, after the September 11th attacks, you were, in fact, in charge of setting up a crisis communications function, if I'm not mistaken, right. which dealt with the anthrax yes. threat. Is that correct?
1: Right. Anthrax ricin.
0: What, what was that like, and what did you learn from that experience?
1: Right. It was fascinating. So this was in the context of a political uh, environment. So this mm. was, you know, with the U.S. Congress, and so it was uh, one of the appealing aspects of the role. Starting out was being able to uh, work in politics in an apolitical role. Right. Um, you yep. know, to drive something that was again crisis, you know, crisis strategy, crisis planning, crisis communication. Uh, at that time, seemed to be something that, of course, just this unanimity of support for right. that. Right. Everyone wanted yes, it. Yes. Yes. Right. But you learn very quickly, as in all politics, everything is political, right? There is right. no such thing as an apolitical team, organization, entity, and so anyway, that was a, a piece of uh, insight that was valuable for me, a life lesson. But I do think more transactionally to uh, that time where we were dealing with things that we'd never seen before as a as a country, as a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big positive uh, among many was that there was an interest in one bringing in outside expertise to create from the ground up an approach that didn't exist in the public sector. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was where, again, where brands are much more disciplined about crisis planning, response, management, again, in the context of some of the things we're discussing, not always, but generally, Mm -hmm. uh, better at those kinds of things. And so it was a fascinating chance to build a mechanism to train and enable our political leaders in the country to be able to organize around a consistent message and a process, mm-hmm. right, for communicating in an unbelievably uh, challenged uh, environment where media were um, really demanding information, perhaps faster than you know there was the ability to deliver it or to understand you know what truth was and uh, what was really uh, needing to be communicated. So it was interesting. We were talking about it a little earlier. It seems like it was forever ago. Uh, but it was not that long ago, but I think in many ways it's back to the conversation we were having about <clears throat> uh, the benefit of having a much more diverse set of skills and competencies that you bring to the table. That was a huge uh, set of stakeholders across an unbelievably complex, again, public uh, and government organization that had mm-hmm. to be aligned that had never been before at all. Right. Um, and so crisis is always a good mechanism as well for bringing people together. in a functional sense, it was a great mechanism for bringing bringing together uh, the communications minds around how to construct something that uh, heretofore had not existed. So that was an unbelievably exciting excitement.
0: Mm. Do you miss um, being a political communicator in today's (laughs) <laughs> environment? I don't,
1: I don't. I do, I, I, some days I feel like I still am, but uh, I, I don't miss that uh, at all. I'm much more excited to be an observer on the sidelines mm. um, as opposed to in that day-to-day battle.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, Tarod, thank you so much for thank your you. time. This has been great. I really appreciate it. I know that you are probably extremely jet-lagged um, and yet you've you've answered the questions extremely eloquently. Um, So thank you for that, and with a lot of insight.
1: Well, I appreciate your time. It's great to talk to you, as always.
0: Excellent. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people.